Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Clark. As always, the opinions that are offered on this show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, or employees. And additionally, any legal advice that is dispensed on this show is not intended to be legal advice for individual situations. If you need a lawyer, it is imperative that you marshal the facts of your situation and present them to a lawyer so you can get an individual opinion and get good legal advice. With that said, we turn to a topic that has been addressed previously, although not in such great detail and not with such importance, and that is a discussion of ride-sharing services. We have today Alan Steinhorn of the law firm of Clark & Steinhorn. Full admission, he is my law partner, former college roommate, and friend of some 40 years. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you, Bob. I like being here. It's a pleasure to be here. So we talked about this in passing some time ago to acquaint people with some of the issues that arise, but there have been some developments in cases elsewhere that are of significance. Could you touch on that, please? Well, over the last decade, there's been uh, an explosion of ride-sharing services such as Uber and Lyft that are replacing traditional cabs and other types of transportation. Along with this new field of transportation, there have been some problems that have arisen. The most dramatic and the most serious problem has been safety. When you call a ride-sharing service like Uber or Lyft, you're doing it through your smartphone, and a car arrives. But what has been happening lately is people have been impersonating Uber or Lyft drivers, and they pick up unsuspecting people and commit harm upon them. They may rob them, they may rape them, they may kill them. The most recent example is a young woman who, um, after the bars closed, got into an Uber, or so she thought. It was not an Uber, it was a bad person who deliberately impersonated an Uber driver and picked up a drunk young college woman and murdered her. Wow. So, the first part of the show will address the need to be safe when you use ride-sharing. One of the wonderful things about young people or anyone using these ride-sharing services is that you can now go out and perhaps have a night on the town, imbibe some alcohol, and not get stuck with a $30, $40, $50 cab fare. Uber, Lyft are much less expensive. The problem is that the vehicles are not marked. There are not necessarily photographs inside the cars. I just spent the weekend up in New York City, and when you get into a cab, you'll see a photograph of your driver. You'll see his license. So you know you're in a safe vehicle. But when you get into a ride-sharing, an Uber, a Lyft, you are getting into someone's car. It might be a Toyota Highlander. It might be a uh, Honda Civic, whatever car that driver uses. So it is very important first to tell anyone using ride-sharing to make sure that before you get in the car, you look at your smartphone and you see the license tag number. And you compare the license tag number to the car that has just pulled up. Many of these incidents are occurring with intoxicated riders. There was a lawsuit that was just filed in California. And it was filed in Los Angeles by nine people who were sexually assaulted by fake Uber drivers. And the claim in that lawsuit is that Uber is not doing enough to warn people of this potential danger. And what they point out is that these incidents are occurring when people get out of bars and are intoxicated. People are less likely to think to look at a license tag number, but it is something you must do before you get in that Uber vehicle. Because in essence, you're getting into a car with a stranger. So just to be clear with these apps, 
you know, if we're leaving here at the studio and we decide we want to go to Columbia Mall and we call an Uber, our phone will show who the Uber driver is, show what kind of car it is, what his driver's tag number is, there, and that kind of thing. So there are safety features inherent in the app. The issue really is the fact that a lot of people who utilize ride-sharing services are not in a state of mind where they can comprehend things like the tag number and that sort of thing. You have to commend the riders for not driving when drinking. Right. But because they are incapacitated, they've been less likely to check the safety features like the driver's photograph, the name, the tag number. The claims made in the Los Angeles case were that Uber did not take into account that, that the riders were inebriated and that they wanted additional safeguards. The case involving the young college student that was murdered is tragic, horrific. It is extremely rare. But any young person who's getting into an Uber or a Lyft has to keep in mind that it is a stranger in that car. So you want to make sure the person has been approved by Uber or Lyft. And that takes us into the next topic, which is what happens when you're in an accident with a Lyft or Uber driver? Well, let me just touch on what you were talking about for one moment there, and that is this. Uber and Lyft have to know that a great many of their patrons are intoxicated or they wouldn't be using the ride-sharing services. They're, they're aware of it. They're also aware, and this is what the lawsuit brought to the public's attention, they are aware that there are people targeting Uber riders who are in, incapacitated by alcohol. So there's got to be some mechanism for confirming to even intoxicated people that they are getting in a safe vehicle operated by somebody who's been pre-screened by Uber or Lyft. Agreed? Yes. And that is what we addressed earlier on. And that is you have to look at your smartphone. And before you get in the vehicle, walk around the back, look at the license tag, confirm it's the correct license tag. I wonder if there is something, and I'm not a programmer, but that could be built into the app that would enable you without doing a great deal more to kind of the way you can use your smartphone like as a movie ticket kind of thing and flash it, whether there would be some mechanism in Uber or Lyft vehicles to confirm that you're the person getting into the right vehicle. Because I suspect there are also instances where Uber or Lyft drivers are harmed by their passengers as well. That may be, but you're now bringing to mind something about technology that I've recently noticed. On Friday afternoons, I tend to visit a friend of mine after work. My phone has now been telling me on Friday afternoons when I leave my office how many minutes it is to that friend's house, even though I'm not planning to go that day. Gotcha. So if I were to regularly go to the grocery store on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, my smartphone now tells me at 930, the grocery store is only seven minutes away. So there should be some technology that would allow the phone to tell you your Uber is here. So that if it is a fake Uber driver, you wouldn't get that notice. I suspect that based on the lawsuits that have just been filed in California, they may try and do that technology. Uh, when I was in New York last weekend, I took both yellow cabs and Uber. And actually, I found that the pricing was similar. Apparently, New York City cab owners have seen tremendous loss in value of their cab medallions. That's what they're called, licenses to operate cabs. Michael Cohen. That's correct. So they appear to have either lowered the prices of cabs or raised the prices of the Ubers because I did both and the prices were comparable. When I got into a yellow cab, it was clearly marked as a cab. And as I say, there is a photograph as you get in the seat of your driver with his license and everything right there. With Uber, that's not 
as evidence. So you have to look on your smartphone and make sure you have the right person. It seemed to me that Uber or Lyft could have something similar that they had. On the other hand, people could just fake them too, I suppose. It's possible. Most of these incidents are occurring in nightclub districts. So the fake Uber drivers are seeking out people that are coming out of nightclubs and bars that are intoxicated. And many of these people just stumble into their car as they think it's their ride when it's not. This has been made very, very public over the last few weeks with this case of the young lady that was murdered. And it's just, it's a horrible circumstance. I think that now that people are aware of it, this is less likely to happen. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's extremely safe to go into a ride-sharing car. These incidents are extremely rare. You just need to know that there can be danger in them and that you should take precautions. So this is a natural segue into a topic that has been percolating in your practice, and that is interest on the part of the Washington Post in a particular client of your law firm who was injured in a crash. Can well, you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we have a, a gentleman who was horrifically injured by a Lyft driver, and he had an, a traumatic amputation of his leg up to the hip when a Lyft driver crashed into him after driving across a 30-foot-wide sidewalk and crushing his body into a building where the lift vehicle came to rest, ultimately causing the amputation of his left leg up to the hip, as well as a fracture of the vertebrae of the neck and other very severe and catastrophic injuries. So he lost injuries. a leg and he broke his neck. Correct. He was in the hospital for a long period of time. He was rushed to uh, shock trauma. There was a, a good Samaritan who came immediately after the crash and took a belt and made a tourniquet around his leg to keep him from bleeding to death. There was a real possibility that our client could have bled to death at the scene. This has brought to my attention cases where Uber and Lyft have tried to escape liability for horrible harms that their drivers have caused. So that has some application in the scheme of the criminal activities too, that Uber and Lyft don't want to be legally responsible. This seems to me far more questionable in terms of these are people who are making Uber and Lyft money and presumably are people who've been pre investigated and pre-approved to be Uber and Lyft drivers, correct? Well, that's the thing about the common carrier system in the United States, the common carrier system. Buses, trains, airplanes, cabs, and now Uber and Lyft. And over the course of the last 50, 100, 150 years, laws have evolved in our country that place a greater and higher standard of care upon common carriers. So anytime you get on a train, if there is a collision or a crash, the train's responsible. The train has a higher standard to keep you safe. The bus driver has a higher standard to keep you safe. What does that mean? It means that when you get on a bus, you can rely on the bus company making sure that driver is a good driver. He is not somebody that has a drinking problem, that has four DWI convictions. We rely on the company that employs the driver to do a safety check to make sure that person is qualified, capable, and will be safe in transporting us. And to make sure that the equipment itself is safe. That's right. Well. So what Lyft and Uber have been trying to do over the last few years is when their drivers are involved in collisions and cause harm to others, Lyft and Uber have tried to get off the hook by saying, nothing to see here. It's so not us. It's not us. It's that driver. Go what after the driver. What difference does it make if Uber or Lyft are on the hook? Well, if you have a driver who has $30,000 in insurance coverage 
and he amputates your left leg and causes you to incur hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills and millions of dollars in future losses for lost wages, for medical treatment, for the kinds of things that an amputee would need that other people would not. The driver may not have enough insurance, may not have any assets to cover that kind of a harm. When you have an accident with Amtrak, when you're on a, in a plane crash, those companies have hundreds of millions of dollars in assets, so they have large insurance policies. And when you suffer a harm due to one of their uh, crashes, you are compensated. Uber and Lyft have been trying to say, go after the driver. He's got a $30,000 coverage for your $2 million claim. And as I understand it, this has been sort of unsuccessful in some places, and so Uber and Lyft now provide their drivers a limited amount of insurance to try and make sure things are covered. Is that? Well, one of the things I learned as an attorney that does injury cases is that not only does your client have a big case with a big recovery, but your client must have insurance or assets to pay that recovery. So, In other words, the person who causes the accident that's must right. have assets or you may end up short. One of the worst cases I've ever handled in my career, and I still remember the client's name, and this was probably 30 years ago, a woman who was in her late 20s, worked for the government, and she was hit head-on by a driver that crossed the double yellow lines and hit her head-on. She suffered a very severe back injury and needed surgery. The at-fault driver had no insurance. Her insurance policy was a minimal policy, the minimal amount of coverage you could get in Maryland, which was $20,000. Her own uninsured motorist coverage would apply since the at-fault driver had no coverage, and she was given the $20,000 in coverage. Unfortunately for her, her medical bills were in the 40 to 50 range, and she might not work the rest of her life. So if you're in a crash with a Lyft or Uber driver and you suffer a debilitating, permanent, life-changing injury, you need to have insurance coverage that will pay for your losses. So when I first became a lawyer and I heard about these big cases that people had, it never occurred to me that they needed to have money to compensate the award. And if you have a big case with no money, no insurance, no assets, you may not get fully compensated for your injuries. So if you're driving down the road and you suffer a catastrophic injury and the striking vehicle is a Coca-Cola truck where the driver ran a red light, you're probably going to get compensated for all of your injuries and all your Coca-Cola future Because Coca-Cola have a lot of insurance or assets. Correct. But if the person that hits you is an unemployed house painter who hasn't worked in six months and who doesn't pay his premiums because he hasn't been getting income, maybe he's a laid-off auto worker and he let his policy lapse. When he causes this huge crash that causes you great, great losses, if you don't have insurance behind it, you may never recover a dime. So to be clear, if you get hit by somebody who either does not have insurance or has an inadequate amount, there is protection in your own insurance policy if you have purchased a sufficient amount of uninsured motorist or underinsured motorist coverage, correct? Yes, that's what many people don't understand. If you own an automobile and you have purchased the required insurance in Maryland, at a minimum, you're going to have $30,000 in uninsured motorist coverage to protect you if someone hits you that does not have insurance coverage. People often talk about, I have full coverage or she has full coverage. And full coverage doesn't mean you have $500,000 in underinsured or uninsured motorist coverage. It may mean you have the state minimum, but you do have that coverage, correct? 
I feel like the messenger of bad news when someone comes into my office with a catastrophic injury and says to me, but I have full coverage. What we're looking for are your limits of liability. And that is different than full coverage. When people talk about full coverage, when your insurance agent talks about full coverage, what he's talking about is coverage if your car is stolen, coverage if your car catches fire, coverage if you fall asleep late at night and you crash your car into a tree. It's no one else's fault but your own. That's called comprehensive and collision coverage. But that coverage is optional. And there are people that say, I want the least expensive coverage. Sure. And then there are people that say, I want full coverage, but they don't inquire about limits. And limits to an attorney like me is more important than full coverage. Because if the person that caused your harm doesn't have enough insurance coverage, your large limits will compensate you for any harms you've suffered that the other driver cannot cover. So I urge all of your listeners to inquire with their insurance agents, what are my limits? And I would recommend that no one have less than $100,000 in limits. So it's possible for people to be proactive and without regard to who causes their problems, they have protections in their own policies. And that's something that they really need to talk about and understand. You need to understand that limits are as important or more important than your full coverage. People who do not own a car do not have access to this unless they live in a household where there is a car. Okay. And then finally, I just want to add this since we've probably frightened some of your listeners as to whether or not they should get into an Uber or Lyft. In the cases that I've seen that Uber or Lyft is claiming, well, we're not responsible because the driver is an independent from us, and that terminology is an independent contractor, they have been losing those claims. And the reason is that in the law, an employer is someone who can control the way an employee works. And when you think about a Lyft or Uber driver, how are they getting their work? Uber and Lyft is providing it to them. They're telling them where to go. They're telling them when to go. They're telling them how much to charge. Uber and Lyft are conducting background checks to make sure their drivers are qualified. So when I respond to an Uber or Lyft driver, I'm expecting that Uber or Lyft has pre-qualified that driver and that it is safe for me to get in the car. I'm not getting into the car with Jeffrey Dahmer, who's got a pot boiling on the passenger seat waiting for me to get in the car. And I hope your listeners are old enough to understand that humor. So there is a legal concept that we're going to talk about for a minute, and that's called respondeat superior. And in essence, it is the notion that an employer or a company that employs someone has responsibility where that person causes harm during their work. Is that in essence it? Yes. When I ask my law clerk to run off to pick up supplies for us, if he negligently runs a red light and he's doing an activity for me for my work, I could be held liable for his negligence. I know you have a pending lawsuit in this case we've been talking about, and I was just looking at some of the language in it. And both Maryland and the District of Columbia have fairly similar stances from a legal standpoint with regard to who's an employer and who's not. And I just, some of the language is the power to select and hire somebody, the arrangement for payment of wages, the power to discharge somebody, the power to control their conduct and direct the manner that they do their work. And I presume that these ride services have all of those things. They have all of them. I mean, who determines what the charges are? Who determines what jobs you get? Who determines where you go and when? So the ability to control an employee is what separates them from an independent contractor. If I want something delivered, and we use courier services at our law firm, I will call up a company and they will deliver my package. 
Some of those companies claim their drivers are independent contractors. That's when we start getting into these issues. If an independent contractor or an employee causes harm to another, whether or not the employer will be liable to the injured party depends on whether the employee is an independent contractor or an employee. So there are all these rules in the law to determine whether someone is an independent contractor or an employee. But when you have ride-sharing services, it's pretty clear that they fit the definitions of employee because they don't control where they go. They don't control when they go. They don't control how much they bill, and they don't control how they do the job. The company determines how they do the job and when they do it. And they don't control whether they were hired in the first place or whether they could be fired. That's correct. Who hired them? So in the District of Columbia, I am aware from some of our colleagues of a recent federal court case in which Uber was held in for some circumstances that are a little bit different. I believe in this instance, it was a criminal assault by an Uber driver. But it's interesting that, you know, if you pick somebody up in your Uber and you've used the app and how much you're going to get paid is governed by it, it's possible that even if you do something that is kind of outside the confines of your job, Uber or Lyft may end up being responsible. That's correct. Uber and Lyft are putting that driver in close proximity with you. And they must ensure that this driver is a safe person to be with you. So if it turns out that the driver has a criminal record and he's been convicted of assault and perhaps a sex crime and they still hired him, well, you had a right to rely on Uber or Lyft to provide a safe driver. And if that driver then harms you, you would have a claim against Uber or Lyft for not providing you someone who was safe. It is foreseeable that a person with a criminal record for assault and sexual attack might not be the safest person to put in a car with you. If you think about it, when you take your Uber drive, that driver is taking you places where it is not safe. Taking you to your home. Perhaps to your home and perhaps not. So if it is the wrong driver, if you've gotten into the wrong car, you need to make sure you don't. So a couple of things that our listening audience may not know and that seem a little odd to me, and that is because of a recognition of this employer-employee business, Uber and Lyft have policies of insurance that they, in effect, provide that cover the individual drivers. So just as an example, I'm an Uber driver and I have the Maryland minimum limits. Because I'm using my car for business purposes, my personal policy with GEICO does not apply. Yes, your, your listeners need to, your audience needs to understand that. Should they seek employment as a Lyft or Uber driver, don't assume that your state farm policy is just going to cover you if you have an accident. Most of the insurance policies on cars prohibit commercial use. If you're going to run a business, you need to tell your insurance company that and they'll give you a commercial policy. And or in this case, the Lyft and Uber provide those insurances. Yes, Lyft and Uber now provide a $50,000 policy for any Uber or Lyft driver who is driving without a passenger. If there is a passenger in the car and there is a collision, that Uber or Lyft car now has a $1 million policy. Okay. So that was one of the things that seemed a little anomalous to me, and that's this. Using as a hypothetical example your client, if he is struck by the Lyft driver who behaves negligently, drives across 30 feet of sidewalk and pins him against a building and cuts off his leg. If the Lyft driver doesn't have a passenger, there's only $50,000 in insurance available. Well, I share your confusion. Yes. Because it doesn't make sense. That driver is on the highway because Lyft put him there. And if Lyft had not put him there seeking customers, this collision wouldn't have happened. So... 
it's not going to matter in our case because there was a passenger in the car. But okay. I'd be interested in litigating that case to see whether the courts would say that there would be different coverages whether there's someone in the car or not. On the other hand, a company can choose to buy whatever insurance coverage they want. And many people mistakenly think that insurance coverage is purchased to protect a victim from harm. Insurance is not to protect the victim, although that's the consequence of it. Insurance is to protect the person that bought it from having claims asserted against them that could result in judgments that would take their assets. So you want to have more insurance coverage so that no one can get a judgment against you and seek your house, your wages, your car, or things like that. So when Lyft does not get enough insurance coverage, and we may find out in this case we're litigating now, if we get a judgment against them, you know, that $23 billion they just brought in for their public stock offering looks pretty good to me. So it does seem a little ironic that at the present time, they've got $23, $24 billion in their IPO, and they haven't worked something out with your gentleman who did nothing wrong and lost a leg. They've made no offer of settlement. I've called them about eight times over the last three months. They don't return my calls. It's been a very unpleasant experience dealing with Lyft. I've spoken to other lawyers that have had similar experiences to me, um, and I told Lyft at the beginning of this matter. I provided them the videotape of what happened. I provided them the medical records and the billing statements. I provided them photographs. They have everything that would uh, support a multi-million dollar judgment in the circuit court for Prince George's County. It is very odd to me that they're not responding to this. And I told them when we first got involved with the case that if there was no evaluation completed by six months, that we would simply go to a jury in the uh, circuit court and ask the wonderful people of Prince George's County to tell us what the value of this case was since Lyft didn't want to lift a finger to do anything to help our client. Wow. So basically the alternative now is to put the case into litigation and to and rely on... A jury of his peers to determine what is the loss of a leg worth and your difficulty in working and your difficulty in getting around and your inability to drive and mow the lawn and do things that you could climb a ladder. And this gentleman's going to need prosthetic devices that cost tens of thousands of dollars. They need to be replaced every 15 years or so. He's going to need a lot of emotional support. He's going to need counseling. He's got a dramatic change in his life. And it's ironic to me that Lyft didn't immediately come forward and say, we need to resolve this before a jury does. You know, these the sort of the, the new age tech companies all seem to put a happy face on things in their public, but then you kind of deal with them and they're just as tough and nitty gritty oriented as any other company. Yes, they are. It is amazing to me a company could get $23 billion on an initial stock offering and just ignore cases like this. I suspect that... Uh, if this case is filed and goes to judgment and produces the kind of verdict I expect it will, we'll be reading about it in the papers and people will be displeased with Lyft for not doing the responsible thing and being accountable for the harms their drivers have caused. Well, it's fascinating because essentially they have taken the cab industry and turned it on its nose and have unleashed I don't know how many thousands or millions of drivers upon the United States out doing their business, making them substantial amounts of money every day, and yet they don't seem to want to take responsibility for the havoc that they can cause. Yep. So I guess that would be what we would call a business decision. Um, I suspect that's their business model. And I think that 
it really goes down to what happens with all insurance companies and claims like this, and that is they want to keep their money as long as they can. So until we file a lawsuit and until a jury awards a judgment, until a judge signs the order that allows me to attach their buildings and their cars and their wages and their income and their IPO monies, they get to keep the money and invest it. And that's really what happens with insurance companies. People don't really appreciate this, and this is probably another show that you could do, but insurance companies take all these premium payments and they invest them. So if you're in the stock market and you're making 10 or 12% a year, if I can delay paying a million dollars on a claim and I make 10% on it in that year, I just made $100,000 in an investment. Multiply that by thousands and thousands of claims and you'll see there's millions of dollars in investments that these insurance companies make by deliberately delaying claims. They've done nothing illegal until a verdict is entered, the time for appeal has passed, the judgment is finalized, and I can go collect it. So they get to keep their money for a year while I'm in court. So I guess the lesson of all of this is that the, the ride-sharing services may be useful and they may be less expensive, but they're no less ruthless than any other major companies. If you suffer a serious injury in one of these cars, you're going to have as difficult a time resolving it as you would with a cab company or with any other business that takes this position. I know that uh, many of the large businesses in America don't pay claims. They fight them. And that's what we're experiencing now. So we're going to do everything we can for this client. And we're going to put pressure on Lyft through the uh, legal process. And they're not going to get off the hook. They're going to pay every dime this guy's entitled to. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. And I have confidence, Alan, that you will take that on and do a marvelous job, as always. It's been a pleasure having you today. Well, thank you for having me, Bob. It's always nice to be here. I have a feeling once this story runs in the newspapers and perhaps on television, there will be more attention. And we'll want to bring you back to uh, capitalize on your fame and fortune. Well, let's hope we get full and fair compensation for our client. He's been through a horrible, horrible circumstance. His life has dramatically changed. Thank you very much. This has been Everyday Law. Your host, Bob Clark, says farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.